0: we are in Galatians chapter 6 this is our last last message in our get free stay free series and uh, the idea here is about uh, Paul speaking to a church that was getting caught up in false doctrine and false doctrine is not obviously about dotting the I and crossing the T to make sure that you believe the right things false doctrine is about getting our minds to work right about who God is so that we can live in the fullness of what God has for us. Doctrine for the sake of doctrine or theology for the sake of theology, that that just becomes about pride. But understanding the truth of what scriptures actually say about God is about washing our minds with the ability to truly know and understand who God is and who we are in light of him so that we can live in the fullness of the life that God has for us. That's what it's actually all about, right? Right. Right, yeah. That's what it's actually all about. There we go. (laughs) And look alive, people. And this series has been really about saying, Paul is saying to this church, he's saying, be very, very careful to not be deceived. Be very careful to not be deceived because the enemy comes to steal to kill, to destroy, to put us in shackles, and to put us in bondage. And the way we begin to view God and view ourselves, at, at first there's kind of this weird appeal about the way that we're taught about God, but eventually what it does is it cripples us, and we start walking with a limp, like, and then we start walking, like less, and, and next thing you know, we're totally immobilized in our walk with the Lord. And so that's what this series has been about, is about shedding all that and getting back to the basics of the gospel. Now, last week, Mike talked to us about what it means to walk in step with the Spirit. And there was the comparison in, uh, in chapter 5 about the fruits that come from people walking in the flesh and the fruits that come from people who are walking in step with the Spirit. and. He, uh, Mike was giving us a description of what it means to live in step with the Spirit. And I want to just read the last couple verses of chapter 5 so that we understand what's going on in chapter 6, okay? And as we do that, this is the thing. It's always important to remember that there are no chapters. There are no chapters and there are no verses in the original. When Paul wrote this, he didn't write little numbers to set apart. What he, I mean, he's just writing a letter. You know, that's all he's doing. He didn't write like, I'm writing the scripture, so I'm going to write a chapter now and put a chat. That's not how it worked. He wasn't writing a book. He was writing a letter. It's is a letter, not a book. Um, and so because of that, there's kind of a flow of consciousness. There's a line of logic that he's working on. And oftentimes we kind of get to the end of the chapter and we're like, okay, that's the end of that point. Now Paul's about to make another point. That is not necessarily the case at all. The, uh, there's an old adage that said that the person who uh, put the, the chapters and verses in the Bible must have been a circuit-riding preacher and he was on the horse when he did it. You know, because it's just like so random and all over the place that we're like, Why are the chapters and verses where they are? We don't really know half the time other than just it's a way of finding your way in the Bible. And sometimes if you read a Bible, there's some Bibles that don't have the chapters and verses in it. Have you ever read one of those? Um, And they're kind of fun to read because it just flows the way it was written. The problem is it's hard to find your place. When the preacher says turn to, you know, then you don't know where it is. Sometimes it'll put it like off on the side. You know, which is helpful. So anyway, I say all that, that the reason I'm reading these last two verses is because it flows from the last couple verses right into the next chapter, okay? And so after talking about the fruits of the Spirit, in verse 24, it says this, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Man, I want you to picture that. And we've taken our passions and desires and we've driven nails through the hands of it. And we've taken a hammer and a nail and taken our passions and we've just, boom, boom. And we've killed those passions and desires. Said, I will not be governed by the passions and desires of my life. Those who walk in step with the Spirit. And then it says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step With the Spirit. So the Spirit is guiding and leading, and what it means to keep in step with the Spirit is being in tune with God. A huge part of the Christian life is about learning to know God's leading in our heart and to stay in step with God, okay, and to move as He's moving, to wait when it's time to wait to step out in boldness when it's time to step out, you know. And so we're keeping in step with the Spirit. And then verse 26, and this is the one that really kind of switches it on us, okay. It says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Now, this is where it's weird. Like, if that's just the end of a chapter, you're like, That was a weird tag to just put on the end of the chapter. Like, okay, here's the fruits of the flesh, here's the fruits of the Spirit, and I want you to crucify the the works of the flesh, and I want you to live in step with the Spirit. By the way, don't get conceited and envy one another. It's like a little bit of a curveball there at the end. Until you realize that it's all just Paul. He's saying, all right, keep in step with the Spirit, Don't be conceited and don't envy one another. Instead, brothers, chapter 6, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. See, there's a flow there. It says, don't be conceited. Don't be arrogant. Don't get one another all stirred up. Instead, restore one another. Okay? And this is what's happening. Now, Jenna and I just had an awesome privilege last week. We were in Ireland with my brother and his wife and we had an awesome time um we were the first place that we stayed at in ireland the woman who had that the uh little place that we stayed at um she said hey there's two places that you might want to eat around here that have good food she said if what you want is to enjoy the scenery then you want to go to such and such waterfront restaurant she said if what you want to do is experience the culture then you want to go to this pub over here where all the fishermen come after they come off the boat. And she said, you'll hear the local crag. And we were like, don't even know what you're talking about right now. And um, so, but she's, uh, Ireland, when you go to the British Isles, it's, it's known for two things in particular. One is the natural beauty of the of the creation. And secondly is the culture. And that culture has charm to it. And so she was kind of saying, whichever you want, there's a place for that. Now." We didn't go to either of those places, um, but while we were driving to a, another place, we were driving to the Cliffs of Moor to, to show Ernie and Sharon the Cliffs of Moore. They had never been there before, and we were going to show them this, and we were on the way, and we look, and I see this sign on the side of the road. This is Joseph McHugh's, and I'm this afternoon going to be with Joseph McHugh, who's my uncle, okay? And uh, so the McHugh family up in the area where we were is everywhere. You see everything McHugh. Our whole family, that's my my mom's maiden name. Um, And so I'm going to be with the McHugh's today and when I saw Joseph McHugh's I'm like I don't know but we got to go into this place right it's Joe McHughes. so we went in and it was hilarious we walk into Joseph McHugh's and I'm like I swear every person in this place could be my relative they all look like me every one of them look like I'm like this is crazy you know and there was this instant sense of like this is where I'm from I, like, I kind of belong here. And what was funny was this was the area where that woman was talking about. This is the, it was the kind of establishment that woman was talking about where you get the, the feel of the local community. And everyone in there knew each other so well that when we walked in the door, at first, silence. This wasn't a tour. It wasn't a tourist place. It was just a local place. The only reason we stopped, there was nothing touristy about it. It was just the name. So we stopped, we walk in and every person like stops and looks over at us. And they all knew that we were not part of the community. Okay, (laughs) they all knew it. And uh, and then, of course, they jumped in and had a ton of fun with us. And like we were kind of the mascots or whatever, you know, and uh, so they were having having fun with us. and And it was a good time. Now, here's the thing. That's community in Ireland, right? That's the the idea is this is the local community. And there's a question about what community looks like in America versus what community looks like in South America versus what community looks like in Ireland. And different places, people relate to each other differently. Cultures relate to one another very differently. One thing we know about the northeast of the United States of America is that we are about the poorest community in the entire world when it comes to knowing how to actually have relationship with each other. Did you know that? Did you know that? We are the most independent people on earth in history, maybe, except for people who lived out in, like, Iceland by themselves, some Eskimo out there, you know, like, maybe they had to figure it out, but uh, among, among most people in the history of mankind, we live in a culture that is more independent than almost every other culture in the northeast of the U.S. Ireland, not so much, you know, they, they, they have a, a kind of a different feel, But what Ireland experiences, or what Africa experiences, or what we experience in the U.S., isn't primarily what this is about. What this text is about here is about what the family of God is supposed to look like, what Christian community is supposed to look like that isn't defined just by a culture. It's deeper than the culture, than the way people like to relate to each other, or the way people like to have distance from one another. It's much different than that. It's deeper than that. It's the core principles of what it means to actually function in Christian community. And that's what Paul's getting to. And in each one of his letter, in almost all of his letters, there's this moment in the letter where he's right into the church, and he tells them about how they should be thinking, that whole thing about theology, about how they should view God and view one another. And then he gets into this spot at the end of the letter where he switches, and he starts talking about how they should use that in their relationship with one another. And so he starts talking about how husbands and wives should relate to each other and how slaves and masters should relate to each other and how children and parents should relate to each other. And he always gets to this practical thing at the end of his letter where he's talking about how people relate to each other in light of what they just learned about God. Here in Galatians, he doesn't get into the specifics of each of the relationships. He just gives us a description in general about how Christian community is supposed to relate to one another. And this is how he starts off. He says, in, in the, at the end of uh, chapter 5, he says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another, but if anyone is caught in transgressions, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So what's the point? All that to say this. Paul's trying to tell us that if we want to keep in step with the Spirit, we absolutely, 100%, cannot do it on our own. The journey to stay in step with the Spirit is a communal journey. It is not just an individual journey. It is an individual journey. And he'll get into this. Look down at verse 4. It says, But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. There is individual responsibility. And yet what he's saying is, is we cannot stay in step with the Spirit on our own. That is something that happens in the context of community. And that's a really important word. So when it comes to all of chapter 6 of Galatians, obviously there's so many things that we could pull out. The job of when it comes to, to preaching on a Sunday morning is to hear from the Lord about what is it from this text that applies to this body on this day. And this is what I think. Here's here's what I basically think we need to know is that we as Northeasterners in the US need to realize, really truly realize, that we cannot keep in step with the Spirit by ourselves. And it's not even just with our spouse. My family can't do it by myself. This is spoken to the body of Christ. And the whole response to If you live by the Spirit, then keep in step with the Spirit. The next thing is saying, so, how do we relate to one another? How do we relate to one another? Because what happens is, is as soon as we get to a place where there's like, this is what it looks like to walk with God, and this is what it looks like to walk in the flesh, the next thing that can really easily happen in a community is I can start to compare myself to everyone else and see how much of the fruit of living with God is there versus how much of the fruit of living uh, you know, apart from God is there, and then I put that on a spreadsheet next to the people next to me and say, how do I measure up? And instantly, what, becomes, what happens is, is either conceit or envy. And what he's saying is, that's not the way the Christian community works. That's the way those, those false teachers who came in to tell you that the gospel is about self-improving, about you working hard to try to improve yourself a little more so that you can have good standing in the eyes of God, all those lies. That's what they're going to tell you and they're going to get you to a place where you think, okay, Jesus died on the cross, but if I'm going to be a really good Christian, I have to work a little harder and work a little harder and then I look around to see if I'm working harder than the person next to me. And that puts us all in a place of competition with one another instead of a place of camaraderie together in the pursuit of Christ. And so what he's saying is don't get conceited and don't envy one another. Instead, and here it is, here's the picture, what is the instead? If you see someone caught in transgression, you who are spiritual, in other words, you who are keeping in step with the Spirit, must gently restore that person. Gently restore that person. There is a temptation that for those of us who tend to not live in deep community with one another we interface with people at work we might interface with our neighbors we might interface with our family but we don't in uh, particularly in our culture we don't live in the place where our lives massively overlap on every level where there's just a flow of resources where every night you're connected with another family and do it that's generally speaking not how we live particularly in the suburbs okay and in rural society and when We're in that situation that leaves within us a desire for relationship. And I hear on a regular basis, one of the things that I've heard, particularly from the younger generation at Parker Ford over the last decade almost now, is how difficult it can be to actually figure out how to enter into deep relationships with other people in the church. And that that's that's a tricky thing. It's tough to figure out. When we have a desire for relationship, we begin to kind of idolize what relationship can look like and what community can look like. And then we begin to think, man, I really need the community. But I tend to, the way that I start to think I need the community is I kind of think of it in personal, selfish tones. Like, I need friends. I need this. I need that. And then what ends up happening is is when I enter into the Christian community, I enter in looking to receive something, primarily. But what this verse is talking about is when I enter into the Christian community, how do I enter in? What's it saying? It's saying that when I look at Barry or when I look at Mike or when I look at Anna, I'm looking at them and I'm saying, you know, we're in this thing together, right? We're trying to keep in step with the Spirit. And if I see on one of you something that you're caught in that is keeping you from flowing in step with the Spirit, my role is, in your life is to figure out how to gently restore you in your relationship with God. This is a very different picture than saying, I want friends who are Christians. Christian community is not primarily just about having therapeutic support in my life or encouragement. Christian community is about keeping one another connected to God. That's what it's all about. The whole point. Encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Encourage one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making a melody in your heart. When you see one of your brothers or sisters caught in a trespass, then you need to gently restore them. The whole idea of Christian community is saying that what trespass, this word trespass, what it actually means is, is there's a line to walk, and I'm called to walk that line. Trespass is when I step out of line. Okay, that line doesn't mean here's right and wrong and I'm the cosmic policeman who's walking around to figure out where you're messed up so I can tell you. That's called self-righteousness. And that is judgmentalism and it doesn't help anyone in the Christian community. When I feel better because I tell you what you're doing wrong, you know? And there are many in the Christian faith who we struggle with that, you know? Because we actually like like to call other people out on stuff because it makes us feel better. But that's not helpful. What is helpful is to say keeping in step with the Spirit is eternal life. It's good life. And when I see that you're not walking in a way that is flowing in the life with God, then my role as your brother or sister is to come alongside you and to help you stay connected to God. And sometimes that takes some pretty difficult conversations. That takes some pretty difficult conversations. When I enter into the community from a place of need, thinking that the reason I, have, I need these relationships is because, you know, I need friendship, and I need people to have fun with, those things are awesome, and those are gifts from God. But if that's my purpose in entering the community, then I'm going to be in bad shape when it stops being fun, and when this per- person stops feeling like a friend, <laughs> then the whole thing kind of crumbles, Right? Secondarily, if I come into the community and the, and the point of Christian community is the platform for me to display my spiritual gifts, then we have a problem, right? If I want to do something so I can feel more valuable about myself and this is the venue by which I can do that, then again, I'm entering into Christian community with my own intentions and my own objectives. And when I do that, then I end up tending to use the community and, and use people. Now, here's the, here's the four big killers, of Christian community and what gets us kind of messed up that I know of there's probably many but but they all have to do with self okay first it's just straight up selfishness when I'm all about me Christian community won't actually work because the Christian community is based on love which means I enter in not from a place of need because the gospel says that I'm full in God but I work out the love of God by caring for others. So selfishness can really hurt us on this level. Self-reliance can really hurt us. When I'm good and I don't need anything and I got this, most of the time I won't even enter in community. But if I do enter community, I'm not vulnerable, I'm not transparent, I'm not ever saying like, hey man, I need prayer tonight because I am super tempted with, and people are like, what, you are, you know? But when I'm self-reliant, I don't need that. And so we're not a culture of transparency and a culture of vulnerability. Instead, we're kind of all hedging and, and proving ourselves. Self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is when I like to be a little bit better than the person next to me, and that puts competition in the community. And the last one is self-esteem. And I don't know, what you might be like, what? <laughs> like, don't you actually have to love yourself and feel good about yourself before you can love other people? not really no actually we need to feel really good about God and we sang songs this morning that were spot on I mean he loves us oh how he loves us and we have a good good father and he's jealous for me and all those things and that's awesome as long as it's about his love and as long as it's about the fact that he is awesome as long as our eyes are focused on him. But as soon as it's like, I got to feel really good about me in order to be okay with you, that's actually Buddhism. That's the, that's the essence of both secular humanism and Buddhism, is the fact that I got to focus hard on me in order to get to a place where I feel good so that I can be good to you. Actually, what the gospel says is this. The gospel says is you get the wonderful privilege of crucifying yourself. <laughs> C.S. Lewis says this. It says on, in, in The Weight of Glory, in his book, On the Weight of Glory, when asked about self, it says, what does the Bible say about self? And he says uh, very clearly, he says, the Bible says one thing about self, that we have the privilege of crucifying it. And what he's saying is, is that the problem in Christian community, the problem in humanity is that we're self-obsessed. And the more we focus on ourselves, the less we can actually love another human being. But the whole point of the gospel is that God loves you so much that you don't have to self-improve. You don't have to self-reveal. You don't have to self-define. You can actually completely and totally forget about yourself and just get lost and absorbed in Jesus because all you are is a member of the body of Christ now anyway. When that happens, Christian community takes on another form, And this is what I want to make this point. From here from the, from the scripture, okay? To give us that, the foundation for true Christian community. It's based on two things. It's based on belief and it's based on conviction. The belief is when we actually believe the reality that we are deeply and totally interconnected and we don't have an identity on our own, apart from one another. This is why, as you read what it says in, uh, if you turn to, uh, sorry, um, (laughs) starting in verse 6. Let no one, uh, uh, sorry, verse 3. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. If anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So do I think I'm something, but I'm nothing? Then I'm deceiving myself. See, the whole point here is what Paul's trying to say is, Tim does not exist. This is why Paul says, I no longer live. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. I no longer live. What I, how I do exist is, as many as were baptized into Christ, When we were resurrected, we came up as members of the body of Christ. And so now I understand that in order for my life to function well, I have to actually believe, like, man, Danny and I are connected. Like, we are deeply connected in the body of Christ. And that Sherry and I, like, we're connected. Like, she might be an ear, and Danny might be a hand, and I might be a kneecap in the body of Christ. And if ever the hand starts thinking that it's not part of the body, that would just be really weird, you know? And so if I want my hand to be healthy, it, part of that health is the, the belief that it's all interconnected. I will only know who I actually am, and I will only function in the reality of how I'm called to function to the extent that I truly believe that I am interconnected with everyone else. Now, there's a difference between knowing that in some kind of theoretical, theological sense versus actually knowing it. There's a moment where, you know, as a child, uh, you might have the parents saying, like, practice the piano, practice the piano, practice the piano, and then there's the moment when you have the recital and the kid might actually do well, and they might be like, oh, that paid off, that would have been really embarrassing had I not Practiced at all, or they might actually not have practiced, and it might be really embarrassing. And they might say, Oh, mom and dad were right that this means this. And it's one thing to know, yeah, practice makes perfect. It's another thing when you start to see the reality of that. And here's the deal when it comes to the kingdom of God is that if we are trying to keep in step with the Spirit, but we are trying to do it by ourselves, we will only be able to get so far and we will always hit a shelf life. But to the extent that I get extremely honest and vulnerable and enter into deep relationship with the rest of the body of Christ, because I believe that when God says we are interconnected, that we actually are, once I get that through my head and it stops being a theory and it starts being a practice among us is when it gets to the place where I'm like, okay, we're beginning to live in biblical community. The second thing is the conviction. So that's the belief and then there's the conviction. The conviction of Christian community is this, is that life is not most joyful and most full When I focus on me. The conviction that Paul puts in front of us is carry one another's burdens and in so doing you fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Love. Jesus says a couple times. One, he says all of the law can be summed up in this command that you love one another. Another time when asked what are the greatest commandments, of course, he says to love God with everything you got and to love one another like yourself. The law of Christ is the law of love. And if I have conviction about that law, then I am going to do everything within my power to live the life of love. And that is a life that is in the context of community. I, watch, I remember reading this book a long time ago called The Winds of War and War in Remembrance. Uh, anybody ever read that, those, that series? Incredible, incredible books by Henry Walk. Um, just huge works. I mean, they're monstrous books, but they're captivating books. And there's this novel of this guy in World War II. It had a couple different plot lines going on, but this one guy was a, ended up being a captain in the Navy in World War II, and his name was Henry. And he talked about this moment when he walked onto an aircraft carrier and he looked around and saw these men running up into their planes, jumping into their planes, and taking off to what almost seemed like a sure death. And he stopped on the deck and he thought about it for a second, and he said, "These are some of the." smartest, most accomplished, good-looking, well-built guys that I know, and they could have almost anything they want in the world, but this war will be won because there are so many men who could go and do anything they wanted, but because of their conviction, they were willing to lay down all of their resources to go after something that they believed in. And I remember being struck by that in the moment. Because I remember the Spirit of God in that moment as I was reading it saying, Tim, will you give up all your resources because you believe in the kingdom? And when it comes to Christian community, what Paul's saying is, we can talk about freedom, but if freedom at the end of the day is just so that I can go and live my life for myself, to more fully acquire my own stuff, then I don't have the conviction of the law of Christ that the eternal life, the full life, the good life is the life of love. But if I have that conviction, then I am willing to lay down my life for my brother and my sister. If I have that conviction, then we carry one another's burdens, and those burdens when he's talking about those burdens here, what he's saying is that what he's saying is like, when my brother or sister is struggling and is messed up and, and, and their minds all over the place, my role in their life is the burden of the courage that it takes to speak honestly with them. For the humility it takes to forgive them, to truly forgive them. For the patience that it takes to walk with them in all of their difficulties. That's the burden of the law of Christ. As Christian community is staying locked in and caring for one another and being intentional toward one another in the pursuit of Christ in the midst of all of the messed up stuff of our life. So here's the picture, okay? Here's the closing imagery for us. I want you to picture two different scenes in community. One is you are by a fire. It's golden light, okay? The sun is going down. There's a great sunset. It's golden light. There's lawn games going over here, okay? And you're you're gathered around with your friends. There's some of the kids are roasting marshmallows for s'mores, and you know you have a yeah. Someone's you know sipping a pina colada or whatever next to you. We're all together. There's laughter. The kids are running around playing tag. You know all that is what's going on in this one scene. And then I want you to picture this other scene over here. Okay, same scene. Clouds in the sky, drizzling. You hear overhear the one conversation about the person complaining about how difficult work was today. And you hear the other person talking about how they don't like the person who's over there playing that lawn game. And then you hear this person over here just super frustrated because they don't know how to pay their bills. And then you have this person over here who's kind of complaining about some leader in their life. or whatever. You know, like, And that's the scene. And the kids are fighting. Oh my goodness, the kids are arguing about the dumbest stuff and you know it. And then you realize, like, man, I think the reason that kids, these kids are messed up is because I don't agree with the way you're parenting, you know? And so that's, like, that's the other picture. Which one do you want to be a part of? I want to be a part of the first one. The problem is the first one's a Bud Light commercial. And it's not based on Reality. The second one is Christian community and God calls you to dive in and be a part of the solution. Gospel-centered community is not built in an ideal world on paper. Gospel-centered community is saying that Christ died on the cross to redeem us in our brokenness and my job is not to expect the community to meet all my needs. My job is to believe that there is a gospel that overcomes our darkness and can allow me to be empowered to be a part of that covenant and be a part of that community even when it hurts and when it's weird and when it's not giving me what I need because I believe and am convicted that the gospel is greater and that the law of Christ's love is worth giving my life to even when it doesn't feel great that's the gospel and ultimately when it comes to getting free and staying free it's not so that I can feel good it's getting free from my selfishness so that I can stay in a place of love let's pray Father, each and every one of us is the picture of that second part. Man, we are so broken. And it's funny, I mean, I, I, I just, as I think, Father, about how much I want to experience the first picture, I realize that every time I insert myself into that, it's an image of myself that is an actual reality. You know, it doesn't work because as soon as I step into that picture, I'd mess it up because I'm part of the second reality. You know, I'm still just a broken human who doesn't see things right. And God, we do need one another. And we need the restoring that can happen. But God, we ask that you would do a powerful work in the kingdom of God across southeastern Pennsylvania and across our uh, Pottstown area and right here at Parker Ford Church, God. That you would do a work in our hearts. That you would grow us like the very early church that devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And that they were together seeing one another, working out in the midst of the brokenness what it meant to stay connected to you. God, we want to be with you because you are everything to us, God. But we are very easily deceived. And so we, I, I just want to quote for us in this prayer the, the, how this passage ends. It says, So then, do not grow weary in doing well, for in due season you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. And so God, we just bring that before you and say we are easily, easily caught up in that place where we want to give up because Christian community's hard, you know? And we want to give up. But you say, don't give up. It'll be worth it in the end. Don't give up. Don't give up. And so, God, we call on you, Spirit of Jesus. Move in our lives. The fruits of the Spirit are not the fruits of our labor. So we trust in you, God, to move in our hearts, that you can help us to be a loving people who are marked by the gospel of Jesus Christ, people who are not self-improving or comparing to one another, but people who truly live in the love of God, flowing with the Spirit. God, this is your church, and this is your kingdom. And so we submit ourselves to you. Do your best work in the name of Jesus. Amen.